Good morning. There can no longer be any question surrounding the existence of systemic racism. It is real, it is widespread, and it must be called out and fought by every citizen in every nation. Love, compassion, and unity must now become our new system. Here at Midtown Bookshelf, we pledge to not remain silent. We pledge to listen and better understand the experience of Black people and people of color. We pledge to work towards the full and empathetic embrace of race and ethnicity. We pledge to demonstrate equality through action, and we pledge to be anti-racist in every environment. Above all, we pledge to take the lead from people of color in our community and to listen and learn from their voices and actions. That is why this week, we are choosing to amplify those voices and stories that need to be heard. Together, we can build a community, a country, and a world that is a safe place for everyone. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf. My name is Matthew Rappold. I'm Serena McDermott. And I'm Allison Dijak. This week, we want to take the time to recognize what is going on in our world. Our society is facing ongoing, systemic, anti-Black racism that is leading to the deaths of many people of color. We know that it is not right for us to be silent any longer. Today's episode will be focused on sharing the voices, stories, and art of Americans and Canadians of color. Throughout the show, you'll be hearing three picture books and accompanying songs like always, but less of our voices and more of the voices that need to be heard. This past week, Black Lives Matter Waterloo Region held a solidarity march with over 20,000 people in attendance and 5,000 virtual participants through live stream. To start the show off, here is a clip from one of the speakers at the march, Funke Oba, an Afro-Indigenous elder from Kitchener-Waterloo. Funke's message is about understanding what it truly means for white people, the three of us included, to help and fight for this movement. Well, I find this very overwhelming. Thanks for being here. You don't have to be here, but you are. Thanks for choosing to be here. Thank you. But being here is just a start. Solidarity from the dictionary means supporting a group towards shared purpose, providing support around shared interests. So today I want to say, what's a shared purpose? What's a shared interest? Like I said, being here is a start, but Black Lives Matter is not an event. Black Lives Matter is not just one rally. So to be in solidarity around a shared purpose, what does that mean? I'm not going to slap our allies around, but I'm also not going to make you feel good for being here. I think solidarity requires that we begin to realize that 
it's going to be a long road if you want to be in solidarity with Blacks. It's going to be tough if you want to be in solidarity with Blacks. You're going to have to realize that racism is not the Black person's problem. Racism is a white problem. Yeah. And when you, when you start taking some of the burden that Blacks have borne for far too long off their backs, then you are in solidarity. Because the ally is not the one who calls themselves an ally. The ally is the one, the community, the people most impacted by an action, recognize as an ally. Next up, here is a beautiful song by an artist I recently discovered named Ai, spelled A-H-I. He is a folk rock artist originally from Brampton, now living in Toronto. I highly recommend you check out his music. This is a track from his 2019 Juno-nominated album. This is On My Side by I. Forty nations rise against me And I'm alone in the great divine And ain't nobody there to defend me She'll be the only one standing on my side Friend and family leave me stranded I ain't got no hope to hide Left alone and all abandoned She'll be the only one standing on my side On my side Spirit. 
Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf. You just heard the song On My Side by I. My name is Matthew Rappold, and today we are standing against racism by sharing stories, songs, and voices of black activists and activists of color fighting for equal and equitable treatment under the law. Today, Allison Dijak is going to share a book by an award-winning author whose books tell the story of everyday black experience. Thanks, Matt. I have chosen a book written by Zeta Elliott, a Black Canadian author now living in the United States. She has won numerous awards for her poetry, essays, young adult and children's books, and is an advocate for greater diversity and equity in publishing. Before choosing this book for today, I actually looked at many of Zeta's other works and felt so drawn in by her stories. She opens the doors for readers and allows us to learn about the lives of different characters of color. She shares a different perspective with her readers that allows us to challenge our current ways of thinking. And she also creates engaging stories that give people a black lead protagonist to look up to, something that should be more common in our media. So the book I have chosen today is called Milo's Museum which I think is a great book for a school-aged audience, perhaps in the grade one to four range. It features Milo, a young black girl living in Philadelphia, taking action when she feels something isn't right. So this is Milo's Museum, written by Zeta Elliott, illustrated by Purple Wong. Milo woke up feeling excited. Today, her class was going to the museum. Mommy and Daddy had to work, but Papa went along as a chaperone. When they reached the museum, Milo's teacher told the class that their tour guide was called a docent. A docent is a person that tells us about what is inside the museum, Ms. Liu explained. The docent was a white-haired woman called Anne. She led the children from room to room stopping to tell them interesting things about certain sculptures and paintings. Once the tour was over, Ms. Liu gave the children some time to explore the museum on their own. She stopped in front of a giant mirror and looked at her reflection. Milo could see her classmates admiring the works of art. She liked most of the art too, but something didn't feel right. Milo tugged at her grandfather's hand. What are museums for, Papa? Well, he said, museums hold all the objects people feel are valuable or important. Things from long ago or today. Museums are full of stories, really. Does that answer your question? Milo nodded to show Papa she understood, but 
she still felt funny inside. When they got home, Milo sat on the front porch and watched her world go by. She waved at neighbors as they walked along the sidewalk and nodded her head to the beat when a car drove down the street blasting rap music. Milo hummed along as the ice cream truck circled the block, trailed by laughing kids clutching dollar bills. So many faces, sounds, and stories made up her world, but none of it was in the museum. Milo frowned. Feeling funky, Mama? Milo jumped up and ran to give her Aunt Vashti a hug. They sat down on the porch steps, but Milo didn't say a word until her aunt nudged her and asked, Why so glum, chum? We aren't in the museum, Milo said quietly. I want to know why. Aunt Vashti took a deep breath and held Milo's hand in her own. Every museum has a curator, she told Milo. The curator decides what goes inside the museum. What about us? asked Milo. Don't we get a say? We vote with our feet, said Aunt Vashti. We go see the exhibits that mean the most to us. Those magnificent mummies we saw last year were borrowed from another museum in Cairo. I remember, said Milo, but we shouldn't have to wait for a special exhibit to see ourselves in the museum. You're right, said Aunt Vashti. She put her arm around Milo's shoulder and gave her niece a squeeze. So, what are you going to do about it? Me? What can I do? You could try writing a letter to the curator, Aunt Vashti suggested. Or, Milo saw a sparkle in her aunt's brown eyes. Or what? You could make your own museum, Aunt Vashti replied. Then she kissed the top of Milo's head and went inside. Milo sat on the porch steps and thought about what Papa had said. Museums hold all the things that people feel are valuable or important. Milo dashed upstairs to her bedroom. She took out her journal and made a list. Then she went downstairs and set the table for dinner. Why are you giggling? Mommy asked. Did you have fun at the museum today? Asked Daddy. Milo nodded but didn't say a word. Aunt Vashti winked at her and Milo winked back. The next day, Milo took her suitcase out of the closet. So as we continue on in the book, Milo begins to set up her museum in the playhouse in the backyard. She brings out a suitcase and backpack full of supplies and creates a sign with a purple marker on the museum called Milo's Museum. We pick back up in the book when she is all set up and brings her family out. She announces that she is the curator and docent of this new museum. Nana and Papa were the first to take Milo's tour. These baby booties were knitted by my great grandma Sally, said Milo. She was born down south where it's warm, but it gets cold here in Philly, so she knitted some mittens too. Papa picked up the big leather box. Tell me about this, even though he already knew the story.
That belonged to my great-great-grandpa Jack, Milo told them. He fought in France in World War I. He was so brave that they gave him that medal. It's called the Croix de Guerre. Milo wasn't sure she had said that right, so she added, that means cross of war. Milo's parents came in next. This is the statue of Isis that I got at the other museum. She was a goddess in Egypt a long time ago. And Aunt Vashti says Isis looks a bit like me. Daddy kissed Milo's cheek and said, Auntie's right. Aunt Vashti came in last. Milo held out a carved Christmas tree ornament. My Uncle Rod sent this from Germany. Milo pointed to the brown-skinned man wearing a jeweled crown. That's Balthazar, one of the three kings. So Milo continues to show off a few other of her prized possessions throughout the book and slowly some neighbors and classmates trickle into her backyard too. Two of her classmates were already standing in line. It's so cool that we have a museum right in our own neighborhood, Mallory exclaimed. I want to open my museum too, said Hector. Why don't you two add something to the collection, Milo suggested. That way our museum will be a mirror for the whole community. Hector and Mallory agreed. Milo looked at all the friends, family members, and neighbors in her yard. Then she took out her purple marker and made a new sign. And the last picture of the book we see Milo has changed the sign to now be called the People's Museum. The end. So I wanted to share another clip of one of the speakers present at the Black Lives Matter March in Kitchener this past week. I have learned that it's important that I educate myself much more about what is going on in my own community to ensure that children and adults of color see themselves reflected in the community in positive ways and have the same opportunities that Caucasian individuals and families do. Lenoy Carol Woolery spoke on behalf of the Canadian Caribbean Association of Waterloo Region. The CCAWR was formed in 1975, before most of you were born. Our mission is to promote the social, cultural, and economic interests of, and advocate for, the Caribbean community in Waterloo Region. We have distributed scholarships to university and college students, worked with the Waterloo Regional Police Service to address the carding of Blacks in this region, partnered with other not-for-profits and charities for the Coalition for the Success of African, Canadian, and Caribbean Youth that targeted at-risk students and young adults, and many other initiatives. I need you to understand that we have been paying attention for over 45 years. Lenoy then goes on to discuss some of the racist actions and deaths that have happened in the United States over the past few weeks, in addition to the disproportionately negative impacts COVID-19 has had on Black communities 
in the US and in Canada. He continues on to discuss here what racism has looked like and how it still exists in the Waterloo region. Who is the black community? We speak of the black community, but you should know that it is not a community that we created. We do not share a common language or culture or faith. Our cultural heritages are that we see ourselves from as Ethiopians, Haitians, Jamaicans, Trinidadians, Nova Scotians, Quebecois, and Nigerians. Yes. But we are Canadians. The Black community is a creation of this society that lumps us together based solely on the shade of our skin. We are targeted, discriminated against, and our cries for help are often ignored just because of our melanin, nothing else. What challenges do we face? As a Canadian citizen and a member of this community for over 28 years, please take what, I'm, what I am about to say to heart. Too many times, too many times, we think that the racism and prejudice is out there and that it is not present in our homes, our communities, our workplaces and in our governments. We shout out the names of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, but we don't call out the names of the victims in our own backyard, like Howard Joel Monroe. I need you to say it with me. Howard Joel Monroe. A 20 year old man from Guyana who was stabbed to death in Victoria Park in 2001 by a white racist gang. Say it with me, Francis Pitya. Francis Pitya. A disabled South Sudanese man who was attacked by a group of white men while he was standing in front of his apartment building in downtown Kitchener in 2006. They knocked him to the ground and beat him up brutally with his own crutch. You are standing beside a park where many black persons are afraid to walk alone off the dark. Our community members are four times more likely to be stopped and checked by the police. Our children have had GRT bus drivers drive past them as they stood alone yes. at the bus stop waiting to return home from school. Yes. Stop looking outside and look within. Please understand that there are individual and corporate elements in the region of Waterloo that are actively engaged in racist actions and initiatives. If we do nothing, the attacks will increase. We must fill the cup of rights and freedoms faster than they are emptying it. Yes. So the song I've chosen today is by Canadian singer Julie Black. 
I urge you to listen to her powerful lyrics and take this message to heart. This is Running by Julie Black. We belong to each other and we are the people. Sharing all different races because we are all equal. just heard the song Running by Canadian singer Julie Black. It can be tempting as Canadians to look at what is happening in the United States, what has happened throughout their history, and pat ourselves on the back, thinking that our country's history does not bear the same scars of racial injustice, that we are somehow better than that. Indeed, in the last week, this type of unfortunate opinion has been aired too frequently on our TV, radio, and social media, with pundits, political commentators, business people, and even, sadly, two sitting provincial premiers, Doug Ford and Francois Legault, minimizing the impact that racism has had on our history. The truth is that Canada's past and present is by no means free of anti-Black racism. A quick scroll through our history books reveals our problems with racial injustice. Incidents like the police killings of Lester Donaldson and Raymond Lawrence, one of which led to the creation of the Special Investigations Unit here in Ontario. The Young Street Uprising, the Neptune 4 incident, and more recently, police carding and the problems associated with stop and frisk. All of these incidents and events were perpetrated here on Canadian soil. They are tragic and indelible blots that must never be forgotten or overlooked. 
Even right now, within the time span of these current Black Lives Matter protests, Canadians have witnessed the tragic death of a young black woman, 29-year-old Regis Korchinski Paquette from Toronto, who lost her life at her apartment during the course of a police response. The picture book that I've brought in today tells of yet another historical racial injustice in Canada's past, segregation. And it shares the story of one brave Nova Scotian woman who dared to stand against it. This is Viola Desmond Won't Be Budged, written by Jody Nyasha Warner and illustrated by Richard Rudnicki. It was a day with a zing in the air. It was a day... No. Viola Desmond was one brave woman. Now come here, listen in close, and I'll tell you why. It was a day with a zing in the air when Viola set out on her way. She waved to Gladys and Susu, who worked for her at Vi's studio beauty parlor. Then she stepped in her car and drove away. She drove those winter wet roads with care. She had a meeting to attend three towns away. But guess what? First she heard a rattle, then she heard a clunk, and her car began to shake. Quick, quick, Viola drove into New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, to a garage. The mechanic said it would take some long hours to fix up the car, so Viola made plans. Damn it. She walked up the street and down until she came upon the beautiful Roseland Theater. I'll watch a movie, Viola thought. So she stepped up to the window to buy a ticket for the show. Her ticket in hand, Viola found the perfect seat, right down close where she could see real good. But then she felt a tap on her shoulder. She looked up into the face of the usher. You have a cheap upstairs ticket, the usher said. You have to go up to the balcony. Well, said Viola, the cashier must have made a mistake. I'll just go on and buy me a main floor ticket then. The usher shook her head. No, you people have to sit in the upstairs section. Right then, Viola understood crystal clear what the usher was saying. This was 1946. Back then, that meant that the Roseland Theater, like many places in Canada, was segregated. That meant that black people were not allowed to sit, stand, or even be in the same sections as white people. Viola felt sad. Viola felt scared. But most of all, Viola felt mad. Look, she said, I'm willing to pay the right price, and this is the seat that I want, so I'm not moving. Well, said the usher, and went to tell the manager. Well, said the manager, and he went to phone the police. And before you knew it, all three of them came up to Viola to insist that she move up to the balcony. But I told you that Viola was brave, didn't I? She wouldn't budge because she knew that this seating rule wasn't fair to black folks. It was just plain wrong. So the manager and the policeman dragged her out of the theater in a real rough way. They took her to jail, 
Can you believe it? She sat on a hard bench all night long and tried to keep her spirit strong. The next morning, Viola was taken before a judge and charged with not paying the proper ticket price. She tried to explain that she was happy to pay more for a downstairs ticket, but they didn't listen to her none. Viola was charged a fine of $20, which was a whole lot of money in those days. Then she was free to go. Viola was glad to get back to her home at the beauty parlor. When people came to visit, she told them what happened in New Glasgow, and the story made them angry, too. So Viola and black community groups in Nova Scotia decided to appeal her charge. A year later, in 1947, they faced the Nova Scotia Supreme Court. But the judges there sure didn't want to talk about racial segregation. They said Viola's case had been fair, and they canceled her appeal right there. Still, Viola's bravery made a big difference. She inspired all kinds of people to fight against segregation, and by the late 1950s, it was made against the law. So come on and join me in saying thank you to Viola Desmond, a real hero who sat down for her fight. And that's the end of the story. Now, Viola's bravery helped to put an end to segregation in Canada. And today, young people of color are continuing her fight for racial equality. Here is one of Canada's most eloquent, thoughtful, and outspoken musicians with an anthem for bravery, black pride, and above all, love for every human. Here is Shad with the song, The Fool, Part One, Get It, Got It, Good. Get it, got it, good. Uh, get it, got it, good. They can't kill us because they can't see us because they only see fear. Get it, got it, good. They can't kill us because they can't see us because they only see fear. Get it, got it, good. Damn, it feels good to be back. Damn, it feels good to be black. They keep on killing us. We just keep killing it. Mama said killing is not where the ailing is. Gonna speak back. Lord knows she been through it. She said a human is not who the villain is. She said it's fear. It's greed and it's pride. You see it inside. That's what the system is built on and what it instills in us. Now I've been feeling this vibe. Honestly, the haters can hate. Just let the creators create and let the creator be judge. I mean, too many mistakes to be grudging. Besides, all of us lost without love. Or tired of staying awake Or party all night then distraught at the state of the day But what do you make of this way that I'm walking This path that I'm on You made a way for me Hope that my map isn't wrong Nowadays my legs is weak What if my staff isn't strong What if it breaks uh, Who got me uh, You got me uh, I know that you got me good Get it, got it, good Get it, got it, good Get it, got it, good Get it? Got it? Good. Get it? Got it? Good. Get it? Got it? Good. Get it? Got it? Good.
ways we can elevate. Stepping up, staring, we escalate. Don't try to separate, we'll get together and celebrate. I can do everything, I just don't hesitate. I can do anything. Allow me to demonstrate. I just can't wait, I just cannot be me. I just can't go back and copy me. I just cannot be free, I just can't possibly. Lessons on lessons, legends on legends on legends. Little black boy with a poem that he showed to the reverend. Jesus saw Judas and ran up to hug the young brother and dug at the other 11. Like, why is this traitor in heaven? He said it's hell on earth, anywhere love isn't present. Wherever he goes, we go to Together, my brother, you get it? That was Canadian hip-hop artist Shad, with the song The Fool, Part 1. It is not only black Canadians that face systemic racial injustices. This week also saw yet another Indigenous woman, 26-year-old Chantelle Moore, shot and killed by police on a balcony outside her apartment in Edmonston, New Brunswick. The circumstances surrounding Miss Moore's death are currently under investigation. In an interview with the Globe and Mail on Friday, Lorraine White, president of the Native Women's Association, said, Indigenous mothers in Canada have something awful in common with black mothers. When our children fail to return home at the expected time, our hearts are in our chest. Were they picked up by police? Were they hurt by police? Is it any wonder then why in demonstrations across North America, Indigenous people have been standing and in many cases dancing shoulder to shoulder with Black Lives Matter protesters as they demand equal treatment under the law. This is Buffy St. Marie and Tanya Tagak with their song, You've Got to Run.
again we've been down We've been so broken, been so low that I kiss the ground But you can see yourself a winner beyond the money You just heard the song You've Got to Run by Buffy St. Marie and Tanya Tagak. This is Midtown Bookshelf, coming to you from the heart of Midtown Kitchener-Waterloo. Today on the program, we are taking a stand against systemic racism and amplifying the words and works of authors, musicians, and activists of color. Coming up, Serena McDermott will share an inspiring book on the spirit and achievements of Black Americans. But first, to get us ready for it, she's brought in a song by a singer-songwriter who's been very active in the current Black Lives Matter demonstrations. My first song selection is Black Girl Soldier by Jamila Woods. She said in an interview with Complex, the goal of Black Girl Soldier video is to lift up the Black women throughout history and today who inspire me and who are doing brilliant artistic and activist work. Knowing my history and what my people have survived before me has made me stronger. This is Black Girl Soldier by Jamila Woods. She's
That was Black Girl Soldier by Jamila Woods. Next, you're going to hear The Undefeated by Kwame Alexander and illustrated by Kadir Nelson. The book's text is a poem that stands powerfully on its own, described as a love letter to America, to Black America. And the text references significant texts from the Black and African American history. These references appear italicized in the text. And the text is accentuated by the bold illustrations of artist Kadir Nelson, who created striking oil paintings showing Black men, women, and children, some famous and some whose names history has forgotten. Further information about the figures on each page are presented in the appendix titled Historical Figures and Events Featured in the Undefeated. I will mostly let the poem speak for itself, but I will describe a few of the illustrations along the way. Here it is. This is for the unforgettable, the swift and sweet ones who hurdled history and opened a world of possible, the ones who survived America by any means necessary, and the ones who didn't. And this is the only page without an illustration acting as a visual moment of silence. This is for the undeniable, the ones who scored with chains on one hand and faith in the other. This is for the unflappable, the sophisticated ones who box adversity and tackle vision, who shine their light for the world to see and don't stop till the break of dawn. This is for the unafraid, the audacious ones who carry the red, white, and weary blues on the battlefield to save an imperfect union. The righteous marching ones who sang, we shall not be moved because black lives matter. This is for the unspeakable. Here we see dozens of black bodies on the page referencing the horrors of slave ships. This is for the unspeakable. Here we see shattered pictures of four black girls referencing the horrors of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombings in Alabama. This is for the unspeakable. Here we see a curbside memorial referencing the horrors of ongoing police brutality. This is for the unlimited, the unstoppable ones, the dreamers and doers who swim across the big sea of our imagination and show us the majestic shores of the promised land, the Wilma Rudolphs, the Muhammad Ali's, the Althea Gibsons, the Jesse Owenses, the Jordans and the LeBrons, the Serenas and the Cheryls, the Reese Whitleys, and the Undiscovereds. This is for the unbelievable, the we real cool ones. This is for the unbending, the black as night is beautiful ones. This is for the underdogs and the uncertain, the unspoken but no longer untitled. This is for the undefeated. This is for you and you and you. This is for us. Next, you'll hear from Midtown's very own MPP, Laura May Lindau, as she spoke to the crowds at the Black Lives Matter March this past Wednesday. Her moving words will be followed by Sam Cooke's American Civil Rights Era protest song, Change is Going to Come. Um, you cannot see what is happening behind the shades and the mask. Behind the shades are tears because I am looking so far down the street and I know that there is hope for my five-year-old son.
Um, I just want you to know that I have experienced anti-Black racism in my place of work. <laughs> the laughter in the back. I have experienced anti-Black racism in my place of work. Um, I need to give a shout out. Somewhere in this crowd is MPP Catherine Price. She has witnessed, yes, give her a round of have experienced anti-Black racism in our place of work. That would be your Ontario government. We stand in opposition to anti-Black racism in our place of work. If you heard me say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter! We stand in opposition to anti-Black racism in our place of work. We stand in opposition to ableism in our place of work. We stand in opposition to anti-Indigenous sentiment in our place of work. We stand in opposition to sexism in our place of work. If you heard me say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter! In order for us to be able to confront anti-Black racism in our place of work, I need your help. I need you to commit to do more than this march today. If you heard me say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter! I need you to recognize that anti-Black racism is a public health crisis. The Black Health Committee, which is made up of a number of people, we've got the Black Health Alliance, the Network for the Advancement of Black Communities, started um, a declaration, a call for a declaration to declare anti-Black racism a public health crisis. The official opposition has stood in solidarity with that call. What I find fascinating is that it is not a declaration without action items. So I'm going to share the action items with you. There are four. They are strong, they are solid. First, declare an anti-Black, declare that anti-Black racism is a public health crisis because once that declaration is made, action must follow. If you understand me, say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter! Enhanced accountability infrastructure to address police brutality, police violence, and harms to Black communities. The third, a strengthened anti-racism directorate with clearly articulated, targeted, and systemic anti-Black racism strategy, and a provincial commitment to the allocation of protective funds to provide culturally appropriate health and well-being support within Black communities. A critical component of undoing anti-Black racism is working towards making Black life livable. Culturally appropriate organizations must be given the support that they need to continue providing these services. If you understood the call, say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. If you understood the call and you commit to emailing my office, emailing Captain White's office, emailing the Premier, emailing the Solicitor General, who is responsible for anti-racism initiatives across this province, mm. and the Attorney General, then say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter! I anticipate having millions of emails flood my inbox so that I can bring them to work. Yes! Yes!
heard the song change is going to come written by sam cook and performed by the playing for change band thanks so much for joining us today on midtown bookshelf today we were reading in solidarity with the black lives matter protests around the world and using our show to amplify the voices of people of color standing against racism in our society although racism oppression and systemic injustice can be difficult topics to address whether talking with friends students, or over the radio, they are nonetheless critical so that our actions can create a just and loving society for future generations. Today on our program, you heard Serena McDermott read the book, The Undefeated by Kwame Alexander, illustrated by Kadir Nelson. Alison Dijak read, Milo's Museum by Zeta Elliott, illustrated by Purple Wong. And I read the book, Viola Desmond Won't Budge, by Jody Nyasha Warner, illustrated by Richard Rudnicki. We'll close out the show today with the words of Lanois Carol Woolery from the Canadian Caribbean Association of Waterloo Region, who shared a call to action at the KW Black Lives Matter protest this past Wednesday. From all of us here at Midtown Bookshelf, keep fighting for what's right, and of course, keep reading. forward. The CCAWR's mission, our vision, is an empowered, collaborative Caribbean community that is fully engaged and equitably represented in the region of Waterloo. We wish a just society where every individual is enabled and inspired to develop their full potential for the benefit of their communities and their families. We ask you as individuals do not remain silent when you see incidents of racism and prejudice in your homes and in your workplaces and in your communities. <laughs> Speak up. We call upon the police and other representatives of government to shift resources away from initiatives that negatively impact our communities, the victims to programs that protect and empower us, to understand our situations and the frustrations, to continue to help us with fundraising for scholarships and other events. Educators, we call upon educators to address the incidences of racism 
in our primary schools, in yes. our secondary schools, yes. in our tertiary schools. Yes. No more hiding. No more excuses. We ask corporations and businesses to hire qualified persons of color. In so doing, you will create better opportunities for our communities for generations. We call upon the municipal, the regional, the provincial, and the federal governments to address systemic issues faced by the poor and marginalized everywhere. Access to health care, affordable housing, access to higher education, and employment. Amen. These aren't issues faced only by the Black community, but they impact our communities disproportionately. We must act with purpose and vision if we hope to prevent the levels of frustration and bitterness and violence that we are seeing today. Act now for a better future. Thank you. Woo!